From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the International Podcasting Network. Great to have you with us, no matter where you are listening. And uh, actually, last uh, last week, Elaine, we had the privilege of uh, having your tour guide in Israel Wasn't listen to the broadcast. Fun? Isn't all that cool? Away from the Holy Land. That yes. is just great to have all of you with us. And uh, just a reminder, friends, if you'd like to find out more about advancing vibrant communities and our mission to connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their communities, you can check our website, www.vibrantcommunities.org. That's vibrantcommunities.org. Click on the little red flashy dealy there, and it'll take you to the <laughs> daily update page, and Elaine updates that uh, sometimes a couple of day, uh, times a day, new opportunities to serve, and also some annou- announcements that you might be interested in. Before we go on, though, let's uh, check in with our good friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with the Challenge for Jesus Freaks. A few years ago in Cuba, a Christian prisoner was ordered to sign a statement containing charges against fellow Christians that would lead to their arrest. He refused, saying, the chains keep me from signing this. The communist officer looked at him with confusion and then anger. But you are not in chains. The Christian said, yes, I am. I am bound by the chain of witnesses who throughout the centuries gave their lives for Jesus Christ. I am a link in this chain and I will not break it. This story from Cuba reminds us that all believers are bound together in the joy of having our hope in heaven and in the suffering that we may face here on earth. For more, go online to persecution.com. You know, Elaine, uh, that is a perspective as we look at uh, developing people with a worldview, a biblical worldview. That's all part of it. And we we tend to think of suffering as something that we need to get over with. I was just really thinking about the same thing. Our idea of suffering is really not It pales in comparison, a, doesn't it? Absolutely, it really uh, does. Compared to uh, what's going on around the world. No kidding. Again, friends, you're listening to Lighthouse Live here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Mike Douglas with you, along with our co-host and producer, Elaine Harlan. And, of course, our faithful predecessor, yes. the inimitable Mr. Owl, mm-hmm. Al Ramsey, with us as well. And some special guests, Elaine, that... Uh, are going to join us and uh, we certainly are excited about our guest tonight 
We indeed are, and we're going to be introducing a mother and son dynamic duo. But first of all, let's take a, a look at some opportunities uh, from the Volunteer Center of the United Way, uh, as our friends uh, from the Catholic Charities are doing a walk in the park Senior Awareness Day. That's going to be happening on Thursday, May 17th, starting at 9 in the morning. Uh, this fun event provides a variety of educational and informational booths and displays, some live entertainment, some socialization a lunch, which is always fun, and volunteers, which is where we come in, uh, are needed to help out with setup, cleanup, directing, and assisting uh, seniors during this event uh, at the entrance and exits, uh, helping with refreshments. And setup begins at 7.30 in the morning, so that's a little bit early, but if you happen to be an early bird, that uh, shouldn't be a problem. Lunch is served at 11.30, and uh, again, uh, that's a great time to uh, help out and get involved there. Interfaith Ministries, uh, Redwood Family. Center, And this is another partnering agency. We just love to have our volunteers take part. You bet. They're having a family fun day. This is uh, held Saturday, May 12th from 11 until 3, and that's at the Redwood Family Center. This fundraiser uh, community sharing event features carnival games, bounce houses, bungee run, a dunk tank, face painting, uh, great food, a health and agency fair, and lots more. A carne asada luncheon is available just for... Who's volunteering for the dunk tank? I'm not sure. Sure, maybe you should. That might ah, be a lot. No. <laughs> Depends on the weather. <laughs> there you go. Well, it should be warm, and so that dunk take uh, might be very uh, a welcome thing indeed. Carnival tickets are two for one dollar or uh, twenty five for ten. Volunteers are needed, and once again, this is where we come in. Uh, needed to assist with games, activities, and just a lot of fun. And flexible shifts are available. Interfaith Ministries Redwood Family Center uh, provides tris- uh, transitional shelter and helps address the problem of homelessness among women and children seeking a long term clean and sober living environment. We just want to just really uh, stress what a great job they do uh, assisting these women and children uh, getting off the streets. They do an excellent job. Deanna Morris and Tom Ciccarelli over there, uh, they provide these women with just an excellent program, and uh, they see that they get Bible uh, studies. You know, it, it's where the rubber meets at it the really, road. Really you know, does. it's right there in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, I don't know if we did this publicly yet, but a major congratulations to Tom Ciccarelli. Absolutely. And yes. uh, now moving as mm-hmm. uh, the CEO of mm-hmm. uh, Interfaith Ministries to the CEO yes. of the United Way mm-hmm. here, in, uh, here in the Modesto and Santa Slaw County area. And you know, it's no accident that God would put a man like Tom Absolutely. in that particular position. He's going to use him in a mighty way. We love Tom is. and just love partnering with him, mm-hmm. indeed. And of course, the American Red Cross, we love them too. Uh, they need volunteers to support the community by helping to staff first aid stations at public events. The ARC trained volunteers are the emergency first aid front line for thousands of people who attend or participate in lots of community events, including all the Modesto Nuts home games, uh, all of the chocolate festival fairs, concerts, and my kind of place, a, right kind of place yeah. too. Uh, picnics, golf tournaments, and uh, training is provided. And of course, volunteers must be 18 years of age or older uh, or uh, uh, kids uh, 15 to 17 uh, with approval of parents, and uh, so you can do that. American Red Cross provides relief to victims of disaster and helps prevent, prepare for, and respond uh, to emergencies, uh, provides the emergency communication link between military and their families, and conducts safety and first aid classes for the community, and just a great, great work there uh, indeed. So if you have any questions, please feel free to call our very good friend Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, 
extension 113. Again, uh, Barbara's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or you can always give us a call here at uh, 544-9571, and we would be uh, happy to talk with you as well. As a matter of fact, we would be uh, also happy to talk to you about the 16th annual Danny Reed Memorial 3-on-3 Basketball Tournament that's coming up very quickly, our friends, and we are asking for volunteer scorekeepers, floor sweepers, and referees. And uh, we, in fact, next week's show will be featuring the men and women who are making this happen. So please give us a call, and we would love to involve you uh, in that for sure. Well, as we prepare to celebrate uh, Mother's Day this week, we uh, are so happy to introduce our uh, our guests tonight, Nita and John Brady. And uh, Nita, we had um, the extreme honor and privilege of meeting you at the CMN, or City Ministry Network, meetings that uh, ABC attends. And uh, we also had the extreme honor of having your son, John, uh, on Lighthouse Live back, what was it, two and a half years ago with... Uh, uh, Tony uh, Grahalfa. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just want to welcome you back, John and Nita. Welcome for the first time to Lighthouse Live. And we know that the two of you just have an awesome story. Uh, Nita with the uh, Beyond the Walls ministry and John with a story in itself. Mm-hmm. And I uh, just want to reintroduce John. Welcome back to Lighthouse Live. Thanks for having me, Elaine. It's good to be here. Oh, it's just thank you very much for having us. And I don't know who wants to go first, mother and son. (laughs) This is just a wonderful celebration, and I know there's a a great, great story here. Nita, um, as you celebrate Mother's Day this week, maybe you should begin the story and just share what the Lord has done in your life as. uh, Bringing up John and, and maybe just a little set the stage in the background here as, okay. as mom. Well, every time Mother's Day rolls around, I, I can't help but but think but be so thankful that I have my son here to celebrate with. Um, there were ten years that he was not here, and I'll tell a little bit about that. But. Um, I want to say, I want to go way back. When I was carrying John, uh, the Lord spoke to me while uh, I was pregnant with John. And in those days, and that was a long time ago, they didn't do ultrasounds uh, on you unless, you know, you had some particular reason to have an ultrasound. Um, but the Lord, I was, I was in the middle of a, a church service, and the Lord just broke through my thoughts. And just as clear as a bell, he said, you're carrying a son, and I want you to name him Jonathan, because Jonathan means uh, one who is sent out from God. And so I was very excited to find out I was carrying a boy. This would be my second boy, and oh, the Lord, you know, must have had a really big plan for John. And then we'll fast forward. Uh, you know, John was raised in a Christian home. He, uh, his, both my husband and I were Christians, and. Uh, and then when John was 17 years old, got into some trouble and had that uh, that nightmare at the front door that no parent wants, and that's a um, police officer with John. And it's a very long story, but um, the long story short is that it was in a small town in New Mexico. We were there visiting my mother who was dying. And uh, John had been doing drugs unbeknownst to us. 
and had uh, never done any, had never been arrested before. So um, he and his younger cousin had burglarized a couple of unoccupied homes, and um, there they were at the door. Here, here he was being arrested, and of course he was a juvenile, and here we were out of state. We were living in California at the time, and he got what a lot of people call small-town justice. Um, he ended up getting, even though he was a first-time juvenile offender of a nonviolent crime, he ended up getting a 15-year sentence in an adult uh, facility, and that was the Santa Fe State Penitentiary, which is one of the worst in the country. That was the beginning of the nightmare, but what the enemy meant for evil, God truly, truly turned around for good. And maybe I'll let him tell a little bit about what happened the first five years that John was locked up, and we would make that trek from California to New Mexico to go see him, and and uh, there were actually times when we'd get all the way over there, and sometimes it would it'd be set up, you know, we'd have a two-hour visit set up, depending on what the situation was. And there were actually times when we'd get over there and they'd say, well, you know, the whole facility's locked down, so you can't see him. Mm. So we'd have to turn around and, you know, go home. It was pretty awful. Mm. And uh, I don't think you ever get, as a parent, you never get used to going into the the system to to see the prison to hear those doors the metal uh to see your son brought in um shackled um you never get used to that and so for the first five years that john was incarcerated uh he was kind of caught up there and um, of course lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people were praying for John mm. and something quite dramatic happened to him about five years into his incarceration and I'll let him tell that story um, yeah um, I just I was uh, like my mom said I was you know I was raised in a Christian home and I I knew about God and I knew better, but I just, you know, since I was young, I was like a lot of kids. I was uh, in, I was, uh, I had negative influences on my life, you know, at a young age. And, you know, my brother was one of them and I, I idolized him and I looked up to him and I wanted to be like him. And he was involved in some negative things at a young age. So that's what first had started me a little bit. I went down that path a little bit and and uh at the age of 17 uh, i was found myself locked up and and um in a in a bad place and uh, so i i uh i hung around a little bit with the wrong crowd I, I when before i was incarcerated and then when i got there i was hanging around with the wrong crowd while i was there <laughs> and so that didn't help but he, um they sentenced me to 15 years in prison so it's hard when you're young to try to see past right where you are to see the future, and I mean, when you're that young, 15 years, might as well just be a life sentence, because sure. yeah. you can't really see past it, so I wasn't thinking about the future, and you know, the place where I found myself, I didn't know anybody who was thinking about the future too much, um, in the prison where I was, um, you could, um, you could get your GED, and basically that was it, there's no trades, no schools, I don't know how it is now, but 
I, I'm pretty sure they improved it now. They offer a lot more courses as far as, you know, different things you can do, trades. But when I was there, you get your GED, and that was about it. And it was pretty bad. And so I was just, you know, young, and young people are really easily influenced. So I was influenced while I was there. And, uh, and uh, it took me about five years. I was into some, you know, negative behavior until God finally got a hold of me. And I found myself in a solitary confinement cell for three years. Because of mostly because the people that I hung around with, and um, that's where God really got a hold of me, and that's where the prayers really, really caught up to me from my mom. Wow, <laughs> that's where the prayers caught up to me. And man, I thank God for a praying mom. I yes. thank God because she's a miracle. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if it wasn't for my mom, that man. I, <laughs> I know praying praying is the best thing you can do for somebody because God is real and his he can reach where other people can't where you can't reach your loved ones he can and his spirit can reach anywhere and and there's something about a praying mom that man I mean other people pray for you but they didn't come from your womb see mm. when you're when you know a mother has a son she worries about him and if she's she loves God, she'll pray for him like nobody else. And I yeah. thank God for that, for a praying mom, because that's what it was. Because I found myself in a solitary confinement cell, and it wasn't anybody that came and talked to me about God. It was just God led me to the Bible, and I opened it up, and God began to speak to me through mm -hmm. through it. And, um, and um, I mean... Uh, God just spoke to me through his word. I opened it up. I had a Bible for the whole five years I was there, but it, it had my pictures in it and stuff like that. I didn't take the time to read it or look through it. Uh, I didn't really want to. It seemed like God didn't fit in the environment I was in somehow. I don't know why. I, it didn't stick. I, that I should turn to God and just submit. It didn't. Uh, I did half-heartedly, but it seemed like the way I was surrounded by was more real than God. See, at a young age, that's the way it seems sometimes. But God finally caught up to me and the prayers caught up to me and uh, and God began to speak to me right where I was in that cell and the words on the pages of the that book began to just speak to me and answer the questions and answer the answer the questions I was having and, and the conversation I was having with myself at the time God began to just answer and speak to me and answer that like like there was like in just in a real way it just became real to me and and I just repented, and I, I was laughing about things in my ignorance and just youthful pride and ignorance. I was laughing to myself because, just, just being young, you think you take things not seriously. And, um, and the the Bible I began to read as I opened it said, "Let your laughter be turned to sorrow." Mm -hmm. and, and I was laughing to myself about two minutes before I opened up the Bible, and it began to say, "Let your laughter be turned to sorrow." And let your joy be turned to heaviness. And um, and the verses before, which is in James chapter 4. And uh, it said, uh, don't you know the friend of the world is an enemy of God? And it began to convict me because I had a Bible in my hand, but I was really caught up in the world. And so I felt like it was really speaking to me. And it said, purify your heart, you double-minded. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And God began to speak to me as I was reading that the, I'm being double-minded. I have a Bible in my hand, and here I am involved in drugs and selling drugs, using drugs, and people all this bad stuff and in prison and um and here i am with a bible in my hand and then when when that that was the the last verses is let your laughter be turned into sorrow when i was laughing to myself like a minute before i opened the bible 
thinking about dumb things as, as a, about at the age of around 21. I was around 22 and uh, thinking really, really ignorant. <laughs> and, um, and uh, man, it broke me. And then the last verse is, uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Yes, and when I read yes. that, I felt that God was in the room telling me, humble yourself. I am here <laughs> he in the room. He's <laughs> literally speaking to you. Now, this was solitary confinement at this point. Yeah, right, it was John? solitary confinement. Did you have any communication with your mom in a physical sense at this point? Was she allowed to visit you at this point? Uh, well, I the was. Video visits. Yeah. Video visits. Uh, found, yeah. With the, the facility where I was, we had to visit through a TV screen. And uh, black and white, <laughs> black and white TV screen with microphones, and it was pretty bad. How, how For uh, almost four years, it was that way. That uh, because this confinement that he had lasted for almost four years, where I couldn't touch him, hug him. I mean, it was all just through a monitor, is what it was. I can only m- imagine the first time uh, that you. You got to oh. physically. <laughs> yes, I, I cried a <laughs> lot, <laughs> and I didn't want to let him go. And I remember asking, I was waiting for him and waiting for him. And when you know they br- they bring him out, the guard always brings him out. And 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 I asked one of the guards, I, I said, can I can I hug him? You know, because <laughs> they have all these rules, you know, and and they. Sometimes they don't want you to, you can't touch, you know, because drugs are passed and all right, that. Right. I said, can I hug him? I haven't hugged him for four years. He goes, sure. He was, so, <laughs> I, I, I will never forget that. Never. And, and it was a long embrace. And uh, But my husband and I could, oh, we could see the Lord in John so strong that this was real. This was really real. You know, we uh, were admonished to pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that we uh, really can get our arms around that uh, on, on a day-to-day basis. But obviously, during those uh, many years there, you did. <laughs> and what, what happened when you heard about uh, John going into solitary confinement and you'd been praying for a while? What went through your mind and your heart? What, what, were you, what, what was your conversation with God like at that point? Mm. Well... I didn't understand it at the time, of course. I, In fact, I remember arguing with the warden. You know, I used to call, you know, different times. And um, I remember asking him, um, you know, what John had done to get that kind of, you know, to be in that kind of confinement for that long. And he said, you know, your son really hasn't done anything. He was in... Uh, uh, it's kind of like when one kid gets in trouble in school, the whole class gets in trouble. <laughs> well, there was this whole group of them that had gotten into trouble, and they were actually moved from one facility to the other. And because the Santa Fe State Penitentiary was not up to code, it's very, very old, old prison. And I don't know if you remember, back in the 80s, they had these horrible riots. Actually, it was all over the news. They had to bring in the National Guard and all this. Well, it was really not up to code. And so they closed down the the largest part of the facility that, that you know, the big house where they housed most of them. And the only thing that was left um, open was uh, they turned it into what they called a supermax. And that's the 24-hour-a-day, seven days-a-week lockdown facility. 
And that's where he was sent with all the rest of them that, you know, were in the gym on one particular day and they thought something was up and they, in the middle of the night, sent him over there. And I remember talking to the warden and I said, well, when is he going to, how long is he going to be there? He said, indefinitely. Mm. I said, I can't single your son out and take him out and when the rest of them are here. Mm. And so I'm thinking, okay, Lord, maybe you have some reason for this. Maybe it'll be a couple of months or something. And it did turn out to be almost four years. And when I began to see the fruit of it was when we were going to visit him. And I remember my sister from Virginia came to visit one time and she had not seen John since he was locked up and at this point it was the video visit and I warned her what it was going to be like and and uh, she was really nervous about you know going in there and everything and and um, we went in and John was so incredible ministered to us really Mm. by the time we left she was just blown away she said I would never have believed it. She said, I, I feel like I've been to church and <laughs> the, totally ministered to. And she, and there he was. You see, what we didn't say was not only would he have to sit in this little room with the, you know, you see him in a little monitor, but he would be shackled the whole time. And so our visit would be like maybe for an hour, maybe two hours. But he's all by himself in a little room. Where is he going to go? But they'd have him shackled on top of everything else. But yet... The joy of the Lord that would be just shining through him, and he really would minister to us. So I knew, okay, Lord, you're you're doing something here, and I don't I don't understand it, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it because I could really see the fruit mm-hmm. of it. John, as you were in uh, solitary, obviously not a whole lot of contact, right? Wow, <laughs> with anybody, wow. you know, except uh, those who were who were watching you. Uh, what what did God start to speak to you about? I mean, what what were you hearing? First of all, obviously, he he was speaking to you about you and humbling yourself and taking you through that. But then, as you're looking at not a whole lot of contact with other human beings, what what did God do inside of you to sustain you for that time? Well, actually, the the I was surrounded by other inmates just in a, in the unit. We we're all in lockup, so it's just not. It wasn't just me ball all by myself, but. Yeah, it was a lot of alone time with God. It was a lot mm. of alone time with God. And uh, I just really, I just spent a lot of time alone just weeping in the presence of God and just mm. having a lot of alone time with Him. There's not much. It's just He just changed my heart and He made me a completely different person, put a lot of love in my heart that I didn't used to have. And, and I just and I just started seeing people and things, everything, life, just everything in a, in a way I've never seen it before and really in a good light and hope and just he gave me peace and um he he changed my whole life around and he just put a hunger inside of me for his word and i just began to become obsessed with with the bible hmm. and i just began to read it over and over and over and all and for hours and hours i would just read and read i read all the way through it in about two weeks as, as soon as i gave my life to god i i read cover to cover i read it in about two weeks that was the first thing i did and uh god just began to change me through his word and just through the time in his presence i used to just weep and cry in his presence and it never really ended <laughs> i just still love god and that's really all i do is just spend time with god most most of the time and and just spend time in his word and allow him to lead me i mean I, 
God uses your brokenness. Yes. I mean, he really can't use anything else. If you're not broken, that's mm. the starting point. You're not going to go anywhere with God until you, he finally breaks who you are and begins to pour out who he is inside of you. And uh, a lot of times that's what it takes is to reach the lowest point and to just, and for you to see that you, there is no way you're going to make it. You're not going to make it in life. And we have an illusion that we are going to make it. And we're we're doing pretty good for ourselves, but it's an illusion. It's a lie. And until you can realize that and open your eyes and, and, and uh, God will bless you by being, by you being able to be in that broken place and broken, being broken just through that brokenness mm. to see that, um, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not going to make it. And that God is all that matters. He's eternal. And every good thing you have, every victory, success, and everything that you have, it, it's temporary. And it, it will go away. You mm -hmm. you can be happy, but it's only going to be for moments. And you're going to reach a place where you're going to reach the end of yourself. You're going to run out of yourself. And you're going to need somebody bigger. You're going you're gonna to need real love. And there's no such thing in this world as real love. Mm -hmm. It's all temporary. That's mm -hmm. what our soul aches for and longs for. And God is the only one that completes that. And that's, that's, um, it was a blessing for me to just, for God to just allow this, no matter what it takes. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, might think that it's, it was, it was, uh, like that, man, how terrible for you to be in prison for all that time. But I know that this, this was the only way that God would have never got my attention in this, in this very real way. And, uh, I know a lot of other people that, found God and will say the same thing and you know it takes a lot of a lot of bad things sometimes for us to cry out with all our hearts and reach the end of ourselves because that mm -hmm. you know and that's that's what usually a lot of times it takes for us to cry out but those are the people that begin to discover God the most real is through that broken place mm -hmm. and um and so it's a blessing it turns God you know curses turn into blessings and uh, through weakness, God becomes very strong. It took what it took, didn't it? Yeah. And I have to think, Nita, that um, the scripture where it says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, you did in a very, in a very real way. Yes. And what it was like when you asked others to pray for mm -hmm. you and with you, what it was, must have been like for those prayer requests. Uh, yeah, uh, for, a, for a long time, I really... I really felt um, pretty alone in it, other than, you know, my husband was walking through this with me. But honestly, I did not know anybody in my life, in in the circles that I spent time, the people I spent time with, whether it was at work, whether it was at church, I didn't know anybody else who had a son that was locked up. And mm -hmm. that was that was very difficult. And people would pray, sure, you know, they would, they would pray, but they really did not understand what it felt like. And it's just like anything until you've walked in those shoes. You really can't totally relate to it. And, uh, and actually, um, especially at the beginning of this whole situation where this is before we saw the fruit and all of that, it was particularly hard, and and there were people that you know, well-meaning Christians that sometimes would say some kind of thoughtless things like, "Oh, isn't it great? Your husband, um, I mean, your son is probably going to have a prison ministry." You know, <laughs> like, you know that's not really what I want to hear right now. You know, I was hurting, and I really just wanted somebody to be there in my pain. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bless their hearts. You know, sometimes the question is sometimes asked uh, if we change the past, if we could. Well, let's listen as Nicole Nordeman beautifully answers that in her new release, Sunrise, on Lighthouse Live. And we'll be back. If I had the chance to go back again, take a different road, bear a lighter load, tell an easy story.
Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Nita, and John Brady. And we are just so happy to have you here. I love the, the line in the song where she says, How would I know morning if I knew not midnight? Mm-hmm. And isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. That's the whole story well, right I, there. I think, <clears throat> John, you just spoke to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so many times, you know, we, we have to hit whatever wall we need to hit, mm-hmm. you know, before we can really break in front of the Lord. And, and actually think of... The many believers that go through life never having fully broken mm-hmm. before the Lord. And, and, and you, you just don't taste everything that God has for you mm-hmm. unless you're willing to go through those tough times. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. That's I mean, right. I, I believe that, man, that God loves that worship. That's what he longs for is that worship from a desperate and a broken heart. Like mm-hmm. the Bible says, uh, God will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. Country. He won't despise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And I believe that there's people that that are crying out from their lowest place all over, from the gutters to prisons, from drug addiction, you know, prostitutes, you know, people that are just in the lowest place and rejected from society, that are at the lowest, they're hated from people, you know, from of society, and they know it. They and know that they didn't make it. They know John, that they're the lowest. Don't we? Most of us make poor choices in our lifetime oh, yeah. somewhere, yes. you oh, know, yeah. whether it's uh, go, we go down to the, the depths of prison or whatever, we make poor choices, yes. We do, you yes. know, and, and the churches today, we make poor choices mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have to, uh, you know, we have to deal with that. I, mm-hmm. I believe, and that's exactly how God sees it is that we're all falling short. Amen. It's just, it's just very, very more apparent when when your mistakes are wrecking your life on the outside and other mm-hmm. people see that and man's judgment will be that these people are the people that are no good and worse than us and our sins aren't as bad because it's not wrecking our lives even though it's wrecking them morally mm-hmm. inside they're mm-hmm. they're ruined in god's eyes but they don't they don't they're not aware of it they don't really they haven't become aware of it mm-hmm. and um i think it's a blessing when god makes us aware of it we're just aware of how really sinful and really evil we are inside and how desperate we really do need god mm-hmm. and um that broken worship is what god is looking for and it's it's kind of it's kind of ironic that um this is the worship that god seeks and he's finding it from people that have been rejected from the the church and from the good people the so-called the good people from society that people are recognizing as these are the good ones these are the bad ones but god loves their worship and how many people in the church uh, don't really worship and never really have worship from this broken place mm. in their hearts, but they're called the good, you know, the good people of society. And God, see, that's what Jesus came into this world to do is to call the broken, the poor, preach the, you know, good news to the poor and the broken and just like uh, Luke to, to, you know, broken women, you know, the sinful women of the city that came that her alabaster box and, you know, the blind, the poor, the ones that everybody, the Pharisees would tell them be quiet, but they kept crying and that's, and the, the interruption of his ministry, they would interrupt with their, their brokenness and God, God, they try to silence it, but God, this is what He came for. This is the reason they were the ones that He came for, and and it's just ironic that that uh, God is receiving that worship that He loves, that He longed for, that He sent His Son into this world to die for, and to and to uh, and to to receive to Himself the broken, the broken. When uh, the people, many many people in the church. They don't, they don't, God doesn't get it from them, but he's getting it from the people that they're looking down on, that they don't, they don't feel as are, are good, as good as them. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
the Pharisees. Well, and, and you know, we, we often come back to that, that scene, you know, where Jesus is confronting mm-hmm. uh, the, the Pharisees and, uh, you know, telling them that you, you look nice and shiny mm-hmm. on the outside. You look like whitewashed tombs, mm-hmm. uh, but inside you're decaying, mm-hmm. you're, you're death. You know, mm-hmm. and, and here are the religious leaders of, of his time. And, you know, you've got to be careful with that and not paint everybody with, with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think the lesson for us to learn is that, you know, why did Christ come? Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when he says, humble yourselves before the mm-hmm. mighty hand of God that he may lift it, you up in, mm-hmm. in, in due time. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and of course, uh, Nita, I would imagine that you were saying, well, Hey, isn't that time yet? Come on, uh, uh, <laughs> isn't yeah. it, it's not God's timing the pits, you know? Oh, but it, but yeah. it's so good. Yeah, yes. it's so good. Yeah. But for us, you know, it's it's very frustrating, isn't it? Oh yes, you oh, know. Yes. And He's given us all of these backgrounds and experiences, not so that we can keep them to ourselves, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. but that so we can use them Amen. and turn them around and, right. and help others and encourage others and walk through these things with others and. John, you're doing that. You've been out for three years. What are you doing now? Let's share with others what you're doing now. Um, man, God, God has blessed me with a, a life that I never dreamed of. He's given me hope for the future. He's put love in my heart and, and vision. He's just given me vision and purpose, destiny. That I, I mean, I was a drug addict and a lot of bad things. I was, I was going nowhere. I was living for nothing, really, just for myself. And now... I just want to serve God. I just want to please God. I'm in Bible college. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm going to start my internship to be a full-time minister in September at my church. And and um, I have a good job, you know. I just, and I'm not going back to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Nita, you were sharing a funny story with me um, recently about a breakfast that oh. John came up. Would you just yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. That was so cute. <laughs> well, what I have to say, when John finally um, did get out, you know, well, we were told, first of all, we were told he was getting out sometime, I think it was in in August, the end of August. I had been given this, what they call an out date. And I, and I checked with three different prison officials to make sure that I got the date right because it was going to involve going uh, to get him because he had told me uh, that he didn't really think he could handle being in an airport around all these people after mm. being confined for so long. Mm. And so I had this whole plan in place where we were going to, as a family, all of us, we were going to go fly over there to get John and then we were going to rent a you know, some kind of a vehicle and drive him back and, and all of that. And and so for whatever reason, I mean, the Lord only knows, um, they let him out two months early. And and it was actually on my dad's birthday. And my I had lost my dad the year before, so he never did get to see John come out. Mm. And also I had lost my mom a few years before that. So neither one of my parents ever got to see him come out but mm. at least they did um know that he was serving the lord but anyway on my dad's birthday john gets this you know announcement that he's going to be released and you know when they release you it's just you know he was out of state and so they're not going to give you a plane ticket you know it's just 
here's bus fare to the closest town. And anyway, he didn't tell us at all. And he cooked this whole thing up with his uncle in Albuquerque. And um, he took a bus to Albuquerque, took a plane to San Jose, took a, <laughs> a bus from San Jose to Modesto, took a taxi. And meanwhile, my husband and I are at home and we're getting ready. to. We'd actually had made plans to go out of town. We had made plans to go out of town, but we had decided, eh, you know, it was getting late. We'll go the next day, you know. And so we pop in this video. Believe it or not, it was Runaway Jury. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was Runaway Jury. I still remember. Oh. And um, there was this knock on the door. And I was th- I thought it was my neighbor across the street because I'd been talking to him. And he's kind of a funny guy. And so uh, my husband's basically like, Get rid of him. We're watching the movie now. Enough, you know, talking to our neighbor. And so I get up to to politely uh, tell our neighbor that, you know, we were in for the night. And I open the door, and it's my son. Did you, like, just... I was... And this doesn't happen very often. I was speechless. (laughs) I was completely speechless. And it was like, you know... those people that might remember that old show back in the long time ago, This Does Not Compute, you know, the, mm. the robot, This Does Not Compute. <laughs> it was the first time in 10 years that I had seen him. First first time that I had n- not seen him with a guard or shackled or behind somewhere, wow. you know, standing at my door. Did you think he, like, escaped or something? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't even know. My, I mean, it really did not compute. I'm looking at him, and, and I'm... And I said, it's John. And my husband in the other room thought that it was our friend Don. And he couldn't understand why I was getting so excited about Don. You know? <laughs> and so I leave him out there. He's still standing on the door. you know. So finally, I let him in. And, of course, there was much rejoicing and weeping from uh, joy that night and you know, my scripture really is weeping will endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. It was yeah, a long, long, yeah, long morning, but it, it came. And so that night, you know, we finally got ourselves to bed. We were so excited. And the next morning when I woke up and my husband and I looked at each other and my husband said something that was, it was very emotional. He said, he looked at me and he said, they finally let us out mm. because yeah. you really do feel like you're locked up sure. when you're, mm. you know, when yes. your loved one is locked up. Sure. And of course, I got tears in my eyes. I said, yeah, he's mm. here. He's here. You know, so we jumped out of bed and there was John. And I don't even know if he remembers this, but I remember it like it was yesterday. He was sitting there at the little table and he had he had raided the refrigerator. And <laughs> for 10 years, he had not had any fruits or vegetables, fresh, fresh fruits or vegetables, because you don't get that in prison. And he had a plate full of broccoli and carrots and all these, <laughs> all these vegetables. And my husband goes, breakfast of champions. Breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) So that was pretty cool. We're with Nita and Sean Brady. We'll be right back right after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, Thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. 
the challenge, activating those resources, and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39 to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about AVC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and ABC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. You know, some of us can do donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them, and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work, and I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing Vibrant Communities. Faith in action. Pure, simple, proven effective. Carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Nita, and John Brady. And Nita, let's talk about what uh, what birthed the ministry of Beyond the Walls ministry here. Hmm. Well, um, okay, if we go back to that scripture, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned around for good. Hmm. And 
Actually, there were several really good things that came out of all of this. And the first thing that happened, actually even before Beyond the Walls, the first thing that happened was uh, how the Lord really laid it on my heart to go to Juvenile Hall. I'd had a couple friends from church that were doing one-on-one counseling with the kids at Juvenile Hall, and they kept telling me, you know, and of course this was, John was locked up during this time, and, and they kept saying, you know, you, you need to come to Juvenile Hall, you'll, you'll really um, enjoy that. And it was the farthest thing from my mind. In fact, I, I kind of fought the Lord on that for about a year. Um, finally, after a year, it was like, okay, I give up. Um, I mean, because I really didn't, frankly, in my flesh, I did not want to go to <laughs> those kids. I, I mean, I didn't want to be anywhere around anything that seemed, that even felt remotely like prison. But anyway, I went there, my heart broke for these kids, and I began to do one-on-one counseling with these kids every week. And from, from that ministry, I began to think about their moms because every time I went there and I went there for 10 years, actually, every, every time I went there, um, and I would, um, would share the gospel with these, uh, young men. And some of them were, were pretty hard, hardcore gang banger type guys. And, uh, but they always saw me as like a mom, you know, and they do love their moms. And, um, I had the privilege of leading many of them to the Lord. And every time I, I did, I thought, this is for their mom. Mm. You know, this is not just for them. Mm. This is for their mom. And I really began thinking about these moms, and especially parents, both parents, but especially moms. And I thought about how I had felt when um, I was first walking through this that there wasn't anybody I could relate to, not not a soul that I could really relate to. And I thought, you know, I really want to get to the, to the bombs of, of anyone that's incarcerated, whether it be in juvenile hall or jail or prison or whatever, because it's there's so much shame, guilt, pain that goes with it, um, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you raise your kids as a Christian. You know, um, uh, there there's a stigma. There really is a stigma. Like, how did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. what did you do wrong? And so I began to pray, began to pray, and um, the Lord gave me the name of the the ministry before it started. And one day he said, uh, you know, uh, my spirit can go beyond the walls and minister in ways that you could never imagine. Mm. And I knew beyond the walls, that was it, beyond (laughs) the walls. And it was kind of a play on words because also beyond the walls on this side, there's hope. There's hope for there's for those moms and dads that are walking through this, and there's hope on the other side of those walls for the inmates. And so beyond the walls was so okay. I had the I had the name, but I didn't know how to connect with. How am I going to find these people? It's not like people walk around telling you that they've got somebody locked up. So um, I kind of had my I did have my connection at at juvenile hall, and I remember the chaplain asked me. Uh, would you would you be willing to do this if just one mom, if it was just one mom, mm-hmm. would you do this, Nita? And I said, yes, uh, yes, absolutely I would. And I started with one mom. I started with one mom, made up some little flyers, and I got one mom to come. And um, the next week, I um, I put a little ad in the where they have support groups for 
you can put them, advertise them in the paper for no charge. And so I put a little ad in there, be on the wall, support group for parents of incarcerated sons and daughters. And anyway, the ad, I had a reporter that from the B that contacted me, put the story on the front page of the paper, yeah. and I got a lot of calls. So that was six years ago uh, when it started, and I I now have um, I have a chapter in Oregon and another chapter in Washington, Praise and they're listening the tonight. That's yes. wonderful. Yeah, oh, that's so awesome. Beyond the walls, yeah. north and north. You know? So I praise God because I have been able to connect with those moms and dads, and um, it's been good. And praise God that you remained on your knees. And, And, John, you just have to be so thankful when we can see your gratitude as, as you just uh, remain grateful throughout your life uh, as you live it for the Lord. And, and we know that this just has to be the best Mother's Day celebration for oh, both yes. of you. John, can you just uh, speak uh, uh, for your mother's ministry and, and it just en- encourage uh, the hearts that are listening out there, wherever they may be? Uh, um. I just, yeah, I mean, I want to just encourage anybody, anybody out there. Like my mom said that um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of shame and a lot of pain and embarrassment that's involved. And, and uh, that's why people don't talk about it. That's why the devil keeps people bound. And that's mm-hmm. why it keeps people stuck in, you know, in any, whatever sin it is or whatever thing it is that maybe you're not involved in, but it's your family that's involved. And that makes you feel guilty because it's they're a part of you they're your family so you look you look bad but God wants to heal all the hidden hurts God is trying to he's trying to you know reach those hidden places that people don't talk about don't want to talk about whether it's sin or whatever it is it just uh the way you grew up or you know you you know mom or dad or whoever it is incarcerated or whatever it is um I just want to encourage somebody that um you know, the, the shame, God will erase it and he'll take it away. And his spirit is real. That's what he came for. That's what God is good for. What else What else is he good for if he can't really heal you and really forgive you and really take it all away? And he's a real God. He's He's really that big. He's really that able. And uh, his love is what does it. And, and uh, whether you're in prison or out of prison or have a loved one, you know, and you might feel ashamed and embarrassed, but... but um, God, God will do it. Just reach out. Just call out to Him, and He'll do it. Look what He has done in your life. (laughs) And come to the group. (laughs) (laughs) John and Nita Brady, thank you so much. Real quick, Nita, phone number. How people can get a hold of you? Uh, Five seven two zero nine five seven five nine six three seven. Lots of ministry that goes on even outside of the meeting. So call me. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. And happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers everywhere. May God bless you everywhere. Join us next week for the Danny Reed Memorial Show here on Lighthouse Live. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.